Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give, get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. I invite Stephen Downey to come and bring to us a message this morning from God's word. Thank you, Stephen. Welcome, brother. Good morning to you all and thank you so much for the great privilege it is to be here with you and I'm delighted with the arrangements of the church. This is the first time I've seen it. Look, there's a table over here uh, with some material that you're welcome to have a look at. Browse for yourself or for others. This is the um, a DVD of Acts and there's also the Gospel of John there. I highly recommend this series to you. It's uh, looking at the book of Acts in a visual way as well as all the verses. It's got 14.98 on the back and we, we do it for $10. There's also a children's Bible there. It's fully illustrated. Make a wonderful gift for a grandchild and uh, that's, that's $20. And there's some Bibles there that you're very welcome to have a look at. This is a giant print, uh, nice compact size, hardcover. That's $20. And there's another one there that's, um, that's got those indents, you know, where you're able to pick the book in the Bible. So people like that. That's a leather, and, and that is $30. That's giant print. Now, if that's not good enough for you, this is what you need. <laughs> this is called a super giant print. And look, if you can't read this, then you're in a lot of trouble. There it is, like, right? It is absolutely brilliant. It's the biggest print that you can possibly get. It retails at $59, and we do it for $30. So that's a great... There's only two left. 
And look, uh, the Gospels of John are there that you're welcome to take with you. They're excellent for outreach, 60 cents. The Love is the Bridge track, great for letterbox drops, 15 cents. And then this is the Daily Devotion by Ed Long, a Baptist minister from Hornsby. And uh, each day, you know, you can have a page which will give you a lead into the day for a devotion. So please have a look. They're, they're 50 cents. Now, I've got some photos to show you uh, about Pakistan. So let's just have a look at this first photo, shall we? Because I was in Pakistan later last year. Every service that we were involved in with Pakistan, there were always armed guards present. And in this occasion, there were four men with automatic rifles. And uh, right there on the far right is a man with a revolver. It has to be this way because when churches meet in Pakistan, they can be randomly selected by extremists and they suffer uh, very, very badly. So the church has to protect itself. And, and that's how it is. When we arrived there, the great news came that that lady who had drunk from a cup that only Islamic men are supposed to drink from, she drank from it and she was thrown into jail and she was on death row for eight years. A Christian mother, a Christian wife, she remained faithful throughout that entire time and then the Supreme Court met and looked at the case and threw it out. And she was released. The trouble is, they still want to kill her, so she's had to go into hiding. Her defence lawyer had to leave the country because his life was under threat as well. But it was a great answer to prayer because millions of Christians around the world were praying for her. A tremendous story. The man on my left, uh, his name is Michael Corey. He's from Maitland. He's a businessman. He did a series on the book of Revelation in Pakistan and that was very, very well received. Now the next one to show you, it was under a marquee that we had this conference in Pakistan. There were big iron gates uh, at, at the front to protect everyone. There were 300 people there on this occasion and it grew to 500 people and I realized as we were singing the praises of the Lord that I was with people who had suffered a lot lot more than I had people who had been persecuted who had been thrown out of their homes who were baptized no longer allowed to use their family surname and were totally abandoned because of their Christian faith so it was a great experience to just be with them and, and to share in the praises of the Lord with them. The next one to show you. Now in this compound there is this program. They have a Bible college as well, 100 <coughs> students in the college. And they have this program called Empowering Women. These are women in their mid-twenties, Islamic women, 60 are invited to come to the compound and live in that place for six months. They are accommodated, they're given food, 
and they're taught how to run a business. Hair, fashion, cosmetics, all that sort of thing to help them set up self-employment in Pakistan. Because they are women who cannot read or write. I mean, that's deliberately designed to be that way. And then uh, they're doomed just to work in Islamic homes as housekeepers on very low wages. They're very much exploited and they're very, very vulnerable. So this church invites them to come for six months and they teach them uh, some, some business skills and then teach them how to read and write. When that six months is over, they ask another group to come in and the same, 60 women. The next one to show you, uh, so they have a chapel service each week and I was uh, able to give my testimony at the service. Um, many of them have become Christians over this six months period. Notice how they still dress very conservatively. Now that is a wise thing to do. I took note of this because if they were to say, well, we're Christians now, we've got freedom, which they do have, but they've got to be very careful in Pakistan because if they were to walk along the road in a, in a manner that was, uh, well, like some of us dress, for example, uh, they would be regarded as loose women and their life would be in great danger. So they're very wise to continue in that, um, in, in, in that way. The next one to show you, we donated 50,000 Gospels to Pakistan. They've been distributed all over the country by Christian pastors. These were the last of the donated Gospels and we gave them to the women uh, well, they can read and write now, you see. So that, that's, that's the big difference that's happened to them. And you've been a part of that. Thank you very much for that support. We've donated another 50,000 Gospels to Pakistan. They cost us 26 cents to be printed in Pakistan. $13,000. So that's a great ministry which has been used by the pastors in that country. The next one to show you, they had a little Christian school in the compound. I mean, it was a great ministry in that fellowship. And the next one. Now, this is where I got into a bit of shock. Things were going great. Ministry, at a conference, seeing a Christian school and all that was lovely. And then they took us to what is known as the brick kilns of Pakistan. They're all over the country, hundreds of them. The government knows they're there and does nothing. The religion of Pakistan knows that they are there, never visit them. They're virtually slaves. I mean, we didn't take a photo of the family, but here is one lady. She has to make 600 bricks per day. And they've been picked up off the streets by the brick kiln owner because they're usually in debt because they've had to go to hospital, some illness, some accident. On average, they're in debt to about $3,000. They can't pay off their debt. The brick kiln owner says, I'll pay off your debt. You come and work for me. And that's what they do, and they get $2 per day. 
and they worked seven days a week and they start at 4 a.m. in the morning and they finish at uh, dusk during the night. They are virtually slaves. We met people there that had been there for over 25 years, just couldn't pay off their debt. The next one just gives you a little bit of an idea. I mean, it's very simple. It's manual labour, the mud, the container. When, and, and the bricks are cured just in the daylight because it's very hot. And then they're stacked up at, at the back there and they're sold at a profit. But of course, these people are very, very exploited. Now, we're talking uh, like to this lady through an interpreter, sharing a few things about our trust in the Lord. And then she stood up and she said, would you please pray for me? Now, I was already in a bit of shock and I kind of saw it coming and I thought to myself, I wonder what she's going to ask me to pray for. And so I asked her, what would she like me to pray about? She said, would you please pray that you'll get my family out of this place? somehow get us back into the community. Now, I felt really overwhelmed by that request because you can see, well, it's very remote. It's uh, quite a number of hours from Lahore, the big city in Pakistan. There's no shops, there's no hospitals, there's no doctors. It's just a kind of deserted type of place. I mean, it's out of sight, you see. That's part of the, the whole thing. And I just felt very weak in trying to think how to pray for this lady's family. And in a very timid way, I, I, I asked the Lord to help her family. Now, Michael's a businessman, and he saw this too. And he decided to redeem six families. It cost him $18,000. I said to Michael, Michael, there are hundreds of these people all over Pakistan. He said, yes, but we've got to start somewhere. That's, now, that's what you're doing, aren't you? You're starting somewhere. I mean, we'd love to see the whole region become revived, but we're starting somewhere, and that's the way we do it, and that's what he did. The next one gives you a little bit of an idea of the these children are likely to spend their lives, the rest of their lives, in the brick kilns. So they'll grow up in this and not knowing very much anything else at all. So it's a, it's a very, very difficult situation. But thanks be to God for those six families. They're now in the community, in accommodation. The children are in school. The men have got jobs. And all of those six families are a part of the church fellowship. It's a really good story for those six families. Now, the next one to show you. Now, in these brick kilns, there's a usually a, commit, a, a community of about 80 people. 35 adults, 35 or so children. And the Christian pastors visit them weekly. I mean, the Christian church cares about them. The Christian gospel is shared with them in little meetings that they have. And they called them together and here they were and we had a little time of 
Christian fellowship with them. It was interpreted by the man on the right in the white shirt. That's Pastor Arif. And Michael's just giving a little testimony to them. And then afterwards, one of them got up and said, Would you please pray for us? Here we go again. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it would be challenged, but I didn't ever think it would be put on us quite like it was. She said, look at all of our, look at all of our people here. None of us can read or write. We don't want our children to grow up like this. They can't read or write. Would you please pray that there will be a Christian teacher that will come into our community and teach our children? I didn't know how that could possibly happen. Pastor Arif said, well, look, if we were to get a Christian teacher, it would cost $1,000 per year for her salary. And I just felt, again, I didn't feel as though I had the faith to pray a prayer like that. I didn't feel as though I was victorious in prayer. All of the sorts of things that we're supposed to be, you know, like confident and bold and victorious, men and women, I didn't feel like that at all. But I did pray. We came back to Australia and I visited a church at Lithgow and after the service a couple came up to me with an envelope and I opened it, there was $1,000 cash in it. And so on January the 4th, a Christian school started in the brick kilns of Pakistan. And since that time, 11 Christian schools have started. I mean, that is just a great, a great blessing because they'll, they'll be there, they'll be on site, they'll teach the children and give them a chance to be able to, you know, make something of their lives. But it will be particularly Christian. That's what they want it to be. They, and I said to them, well, look, call them, you know, like Bethel Christian School or, you know, those sorts of names that we know about in Christian. No, 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 they said. We don't want it to be too prominent in the country. We don't want others to hear about it. We want to keep it under the radar because we want these children, you know, to be protected Otherwise, it could be very easily closed down. So that's the way they're doing it. So they're calling them by very, very simple names. The next one to show you. Now look, there's no doctors. So when something goes wrong, I mean, he's already in debt. And he told us his story. He broke his arm. He just had to keep going. And this is the way it is in Pakistan. No tablets, no painkillers, no penicillin, nothing. And we could see straight away what the need was. There really needed to be a mobile medical van to go around these brick kilns and to service them with their medical needs. Something that was done in the name of the Lord to visit them and to help them and just where there is... So, I mean, a lady came up to me with a baby. The baby was crying. She said he's been crying for a couple of days. And I said, please, God, this baby needs a doctor. 
someone with the skill to work out some diagnosis and I didn't have that skill but I did pray for her and that's how it was so I was in a church in Baldwin three weeks ago and a lady came up to me at the end of the service with a folded check which I put in my pocket and then when I got home I opened it it was a check for $10,000. And that's going to pay for a van, $8,500. We're going to put $1,500 worth of medicine in that van. There's a doctor who's willing to do the work, and that's going to start in the next few weeks. And look, it was a prayer that I thought was... I hardly dared pray that prayer because it seemed totally remote. But it's happened. And then the last one to show you is the, what, what we experienced. You know, we never gave appeals. We never asked people to come forward. But after every service, we'd come off the platform and there'd be 40 people lined up wanting to pray. 40 people or so, and even more, I was over here. People requesting prayer. I remember a lady, she would have been in her late 20s. She said, would you please pray that I'll find a Christian husband? Boy, I got a bit jolted by that at first. But I realised how very serious she was. She had Islamic parents, you see. And they would have happily arranged a marriage for her with a 70-year-old man. But she didn't want that. She wanted a Christian home. She wanted a Christian husband. And so she asked me to pray for her about that. This, this is what they have. They have prayer. They turn to the Lord because they can't turn to other things. So it's a very, very interesting situation. So let me close with this passage in Luke chapter 18. This passage that our Lord gave a wonderful story and um, it's right on prayer. Actually, this story that our Lord told is a masterpiece. And of course, that's the way it is with our Lord, isn't it? He was able to tell stories that just cut through the culture that was relevant for them, for then and it's relevant for now cut through all the questions and all the doubts and it just went right to the core of what prayer meant. So in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Now there's a bit of a clue right, right there. If there's anyone who feels as though they've got it all together, anyone who feels as though they're good enough, Anyone who thinks that everything they've got is due to their own work and strength. There's a lot of people in Australia just like that. Got the boat, they've got the 4WD, got the car, they've got the family, they've got a good job. I've done it all by myself. I've never had to ask God for help. So those people who are resting in their own righteousness 
or who look down on everybody else, who despise, who deplore, who think that it's their fault, who don't have any compassion at all. And they actually look down on them. To those people, Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. He'd fit very well into our society, wouldn't he? This me society, this I call it a selfie society, this society which is, seems to be saying, look at me. That sort of attitude, if you like, that's so prevalent today in our nation. He prayed about himself. God, he said, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And look how he boasts about himself. He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He's telling God how religious he is and telling God just how well he is in his religion and how important he is as a person. He's bragging about himself and he's boasting about what he achieves. Now that prayer doesn't get past the ceiling. It just doesn't go anywhere. Actually, the Lord doesn't listen to that sort of prayer. So that's how not to pray. How do we pray? Verse 13, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how to pray. It's a very honest prayer. It's a very humble prayer. And it's a prayer that depends on God. He realizes he doesn't deserve to be there. He realizes he's not worthy actually to be forgiven. He also realizes that he can't do it by himself. He might have tried therapy. He may have looked at philosophy. He may have looked at other religions. He may have even looked at some guru. But he's got through all of that and now he says, I need God. God be merciful to me a sinner. Now that's my testimony. Because I've decided that whether I've got $5 in the bank or whether I've got $5 million in the bank, I still need the Lord. I must have Jesus. I dare not be without him for a second because I've learned the value of belonging to the Lord. I've learned how precious it is to know Jesus, to know his forgiveness and to know his peace and to know how special it is to belong to the Lord. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a one-sentence prayer, but it's a, a prayer that comes right from the heart. And that's what Jesus is looking for. And so he concludes this story in verse 14. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen.